and welcome to A Broad View, the current affairs news podcast that takes the week's top news story and adds an international twist. Each episode will be joined by a surprise guest to give us their country's unique perspective on the UK's news. This week we are joined by a very good friend of mine who I've been meaning to get on the podcast for a long time, and that is Talon. Hello Talon. Hi Charlotte. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on my podcast. Absolutely no worries at all. It is such a pleasure. Um, firstly, can you start it off by telling us your relationship to Armenia? So, hi everyone. My name is Talin Astanian. And, if that doesn't give you a clue already, I am Armenian. All Armenian surnames usually end in I-A-N. Did you know that? I didn't actually know that. So, Kim Kardashian, her surname ends in I-A-N. Oh my god. Most of my friends who are Armenian, their surname ends in I-A-N. Hmm. I, I think there aren't any more famous Armenians for me to... Mkhitaryan, I think, the Arsenal player. I know there's a French singer called Charles Aznavour, but that does not... Oh, no, you ruined it. I don't know if that surname is actually Armenian, but anyway. No, but he is very famous. Yeah, he is quite famous. Um, I should probably have introduced with your surname as well, but I didn't know how to pronounce no, it. No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> so I just I went with the first have. name. I just think it adds a bit. It adds some flavour. Adds a bit of pizzazz. Armenian flavour. Tell us how you are related, connected to Armenia as a country. So I would say I am I'm a British Armenian. So I was born in the United Kingdom, but I very much identify with being Armenian. Um, however, I've only ever been there once in my life. I went there in 2017 um, and it felt like a semi homecoming. As in, it was really cool when I got on the plane that they started doing the safety announcements in Armenian. And I was like, I've never heard my mother tongue be spoken anywhere outside of my community or my home or whatever. And then when I was on the streets, like people were speaking Armenian, I thought that was pretty cool. So when you're saying like, what is my connection to Armenia or whatever, um, it's it's kind of like a, a really distant, far away home, but I couldn't imagine living there at all. What are the biggest differences between Armenia and the UK? I just feel like it's so many years behind the UK. Um, we're going to talk about it, but it was um, under Soviet rule until like, I don't know, 1991 or something, something like that. Mm. I don't know exactly. So it hasn't had time to catch up really and it's progressing quickly. But in terms of popular culture and I don't know what you... what. Even like products, right? If you wanted to get some Adidas trainers, it would cost you so much money in Armenia in comparison to the UK. There's just so many like differences in like television. And, you know, when you're grown up in a certain country, you understand their humor and how it all works. Like, I don't know, in the UK, we're awkward. We don't talk on the tube. We're like queuing. We're sarcastic. And then obviously, if I was to go into Armenia... I wouldn't have known how they are brought up in their culture. So it would just be really different. Um, so to start with, can you tell us, because this is a news podcast, what the media is like in Armenia? What is the media like? So recently in 2018, Armenia had like a, a revolution. It's called the Velvet Revolution. And it wasn't violent at all. It was full of like pe- peaceful protests. And they basically were trying, the, the people were trying to get rid of a corrupt government and a corrupt leader who was basically controlling Armenia for his own benefit in some ways. Um, And from that came a lot of media freedom that there hadn't been before. 
So looking at it, there are private media networks. Um, I suppose like the main private TV networks are, um, they were once like kind of indirectly controlled by the political elite. um, And now they're quite free of state control. So from that revolution, but they're still in terms of like financial independence, that is still quite lacking in terms of the media. So in the sense that it used to be part of the Soviet Union until I think 1992, and there is still a linguistic connection with Russia. And I assume there's probably a a lot of media that's being output in the Russian language. Do you think there is that kind of outside influence coming from Russia, or do you think the the kind of more state media is adopting a more pro-Armenian stance rather than a pro-Russian stance? It's a really interesting situation for me because I feel so connected to Armenia, but I have not been there or lived there long enough to know anything Mm. on that level. Like, I can try and answer your question, but I wouldn't be able to give such an intellectual answer. But I'm looking on, like, the internet, and there are Russian-language press um, associations and television networks. And I think what I understand from the revolution in 2018 is that the media, the government, any other arms of the state are becoming very much for the Armenians. And where perhaps there was Russian influence, it is decreasing and that the Armenians are kind of had enough and they're like, no, we just want what's best for us and to have our own identity. Almost, despite being this post-Soviet country, it is actually, since the revolution, it's kind of almost progressing to and almost completely free media. Yes, well, we're, we're get, I, it's getting there. Okay, along those lines. Along those lines, like, that's definitely what it's developing and progressing to and what it would want to be. But at the moment, like I said, in terms of, like, finances, it's not completely free, and I guess that will take, a like, a couple of years for organisations to be able to support themselves completely. But at the moment, the government is a little bit involved in that sense. And also, it's a little bit like here in the UK where certain newspapers are owned by certain people and there's that editorial Mm. bias. Like, that very much does exist in um, Armenia. And I would... I, it would be great for me to know if any of the Armenian publications were owned by anyone Russian because that would yeah, that really would be an influence, but I, I don't know that. What would the Armenian press kind of, what would the stories be that they will cover? I mean, what I'm interested about is, is there any coverage about anything that happens in the UK? I doubt it. As in, they might have covered some stuff with um, Brexit. And definitely when it, there was the Russian spy scandal, um Last year? Or was that two years ago? I think it might have been two years ago. Wow, time goes by so quickly. That definitely would have been covered um, in the Armenian media. But I don't think, like, if you're looking at this week's news items and you've got Storm Dennis, at the moment it's Caroline Flack. Cabinet reshuffle. Cabinet reshuffle definitely would not be featuring in um, the Armenian media. And maybe the election of Boris Johnson in December would have been there because that's such a monumental decision that the UK has made, but also because Boris Johnson's background, he's he's te- he's part Turkish, so that might have actually appeared oh, in the I news. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I reckon Armenia has... So very much in the sense that I was just saying, 
I can never live there because the news is very like uh, closed off from the rest of the world. And I, I'm sure a lot of American news is coming to Ar Armenian also. Um, they use social media. So what I'm reading is that 2.1 million people are online and they're mostly on Facebook. That's 72% of the population. There's only 3 million people living in Armenia. That's so a huge quantity, a huge proportion. A, a huge proportion of people. And they do have free access to the media, like to online sources. There's no banning of anything. So they can access whatever they want. But in terms of what news outlets are showing, it's definitely going to be things about what's happening to the Kurds in Syria or what's happening in Iran, the Iran-US situation. It's really unlikely to be those domestic issues that are happening in the UK. It's kind of interesting because I feel that they have almost equal um, relationships and what they have in the news for each other's countries because the UK has such a limited coverage of what's going on in Armenia. That's fair. Which is... yeah. And in the last few years, they've had quite a, a few significant events that haven't been, you know, it hasn't been a complete easy ride for the country. And there is, I looked up, I think, on BBC, almost zero coverage in the last few years. Like maybe key events, the election of the yeah. president, um, the conflict that's ongoing, but nothing, no kind of, I don't know, casual conversations between that. I mean, definitely not. But how often do you hear about, for example, Italy's casual news in between their scandals or whatever? And in comparison to the size of Italy and Armenia, you'd expect yeah. to hear more about Italy. So I kind of understand that. Um, but for example, you did get BBC News articles on the 2018 revolution. I think that was mainly because it was such a large scale protest, but very peaceful. That actually changed things. So that was interesting. But then when you had um, in November and December, the U.S. Senate, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate passed a bill to recognize the Armenian genocide. There was no coverage on the BBC about yeah. that. And I was retweeting articles from CNN on that kind of thing and Al Jazeera. There was nothing on the BBC. And that's really interesting because you think the UK would be interested in the US superpower doing something like such a big decision. Also, it was it was a huge decision because it opposed Trump himself and um, Erdogan, who is obviously so violently against the recognition yeah. of the genocide. Yeah, I saw an article in The Guardian, but until you told me a couple of weeks ago, I had no idea. That the that's US true. The Guardian did actually. Yeah. They, yeah, I have read Guardian articles and that's kind of... I would expect of any publication in the UK that The Guardian would post something like that, but definitely was not on the BBC. But the BBC, what is so surprising is they have bureaus in those areas. They have bureaus there to reach out to these kind of almost distant, distant lands, not distant lands, but, you know, The Guardian is a, maybe has one correspondent in that region, but the BBC has the power to report on all of this, but has kind of chosen not to. Going back to 2018, could you explain to our listeners what actually happened and why it was such a big step in Armenia's history. So the 2018 revolution, it's been coined as the Velvet Revolution. I'm not actually in sure, t entirely sure why. So that's after the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia. Ah, thank you so much for You're that. You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, so, so how the revolution unraveled? Unraveled? Unraveled. How the revolution unfolded, mm. should I say, was that Nikol Pashinyan, he basically started this mass movement. Um, and you could kind of compare it to 
how Nigel Farage riled up, how he managed to engage the UK population, like the Leave voting population, to protest and so on. Also, you can compare it to the People's Vote kind of situation where thousands of people took to the street and he really engaged people on social media to do like a 14-day protest. So they were doing that. And through that period of time... Um, the government wasn't taking much notice, but it was really engaging the majority of the Armenian population and the media was starting to take notice. And where the media at that point was really under government rule, it was breaking from that. And it was mm. actually talking about these protests and publishing them. And Pashinyan, he was detained by the current minister at that time. Um, and But then he was freed. And it was kind of after that moment when he was released from prison the the movement just took an even larger step forward and started pushing and it was just the amount of voice against the current prime minister that made him resign what i found interesting when i read about it is when pashinyan was doing this 14 days of protest one of his most um, poignant actions was f- walking between Yerevan, 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 and uh, what's your second largest city? How do you pronounce Garni. it? Garni, 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 Garni. Kim Kardashian is from Garni. I did not know that. No, you know, not a great fact to have. <laughs> and he was walking in a tracksuit, and he was just walking through the. So casually, he was like made famous, but beca- not made famous, but he had this like famous khaki tracksuit. Yeah, the khaki tracksuit. I don't know why everyone fell in love with that. <laughs> I think it was so, like, it was just opposed so fiercely to what the previous president, prime minister, were like in the sense of corruption. And he's walking down the street wearing some really unattractive looking khaki tracksuit. Yeah. It's kind of just, it's such a status symbol in itself. It was almost like, um... <laughs> The Greek minister, the finance minister, um, when he was like wearing Farafakis, <laughs> he when he was wearing um, like a grey tracksuit when the Greek economy was in crisis, oh, yeah. and it was like such a poignant thing to be wearing at that moment when everything was going badly, and he wasn't wearing a suit; he was wearing his like grey t-shirt and tracksuit. But isn't that so interesting? Like in the UK, Dominic Cummings, he Ooh, wears he's a man of really a rubbish clothing. casual. Exactly, and you could kind of see him as having led a revolution, like, if you wanted to say it like that. Like, he managed Vote Leave, and Leave went on to win, obviously. And it's kind of like those people who break the mould are a little bit weird and not, like, the usual elite. Mm. They're the ones people relate to. No, I completely get that. I guess when you're so frustrated in a country like Armenia with the status quo, that someone who is so alternative to it is so appealing... Um, so wait, you've taken us to the point where they've had a new election, they've kind of reformed democracy. Yeah. What happened after that for Armenia? Well, things have really moved on. Um, in 2019, Armenia recorded the highest GDP growth in Europe. Yeah, which is a massive achievement. Which is massive for the tiniest country. I mean, not saying... It's kind of been working up towards this point. I don't really know. I don't know what the background of the economy economics is but it's quite interesting to see how one change created that result and i don't think armenia would ever have been pit to be the ever be a highest gdp growth country yeah. or whatever they've put in like a commission for corruption prevention they um they have developed new economic systems the number of tourists has increased by 15 percent. oh I really that. that's interesting and it is now placed um, as in the world's top 10 countries for the freest internet. Mm. 
Mm. Which probably explains why they've got such a, a large percentage using social media. Yeah, that is so interesting. I mean, so I went in, I went to Armenia in 2017 and I wouldn't say I felt unsafe or unwelcome or any of those things, but maybe it's interesting, like, to countries outside that once they saw the revolution happen, they thought that afterwards, oh, now it's okay to visit. So now I'll start coming. But in other countries, when they have those kind of revolutions, like, for example, in Egypt or whatever, and then it becomes more dangerous. But is there a massive Armenian community in London? Yeah, there's a massive diaspora of Armenians all across the world. Um, And in London, it's quite large. I don't know how large it is. But we have two Armenian churches in Kensington. Um, We have an Armenian school that I went to. Where is your Armenian school? Well, it's basically, um, they just rent a normal school. I went to Sunday school for and from like nursery until year nine, and I dropped out at year nine because I hated it so much. Um, I really like just didn't enjoy it. Um, but yeah, there's a massive Armenian community. We have like the Armenian Scouts. I'd be interested to see that now. Obviously, in the past, even prior to um, gaining independence after Soviet rule, I'm interested to see if people are now seeing this economic growth and thinking. Actually, should I, I move back to Armenia? Should I move back? Can I capitalise on this? Well, my auntie's brother, um, who isn't my uncle, not related to me, um, actually has moved back to Armenia. Not When I say back to, he never lived there. But it's a bit weird because that's also kind of our home, but it's not. So he moved to Armenia and he's trying to start up a business there. I think for someone who has grown up... Actually, I know quite a few young people who've gotten married and gone and lived there actually now that you say that um, I think if you grew up in the UK and you in in the UK there's a sort of like business acumen that is taught from a young age and yeah. if you have like certain skills um, and you are quite modern you can go over to Armenia and really start a business and an idea that is probably overused in the UK but in Armenia they there's they've never heard of for example so I think there is like there's because it's relatively like a few years behind the UK, there are like gaps in the market for you to go and monetize on. And also, it's just so cheap in Armenia. It really is. Of course, importing things like those Adidas trainers are so expensive. What a nightmare. But I went to two weddings there in 2017. That's why I went. And they were so extravagant. And they probably cost nothing like a UK wedding. So a lot of appeal to actually moving back. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, there is still this ongoing conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. Nagorno-Karabakh. Oh my, okay. You can <laughs> pronounce it. I'll dub you in over my pronunciation. Um, what What's going on there? How's, how is this still going on since for years now? Yeah, so the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict is basically a territorial conflict. In Azerbaijan, there is a, a small state or amount of land that is called Karabakh and it's self-declared, it's it's declared as the Republic of Artsakh. It's basically Armenian land and Armenians live there and it's protected by the Armenian military around it and it's unusual because it's a country inside a country and outside, so Azerbaijan is obviously surrounding it and the area the territory is internationally recognized as Azerbaijan's, but 
it's run by the Armenian government and Armenian military and so on. So it's a really interesting situation. Um, and it has been stable since around 1994 because they signed a ceasefire and they have been relatively peaceful. But in 2016, so every so often it kind of the conflict arises again and people start fighting on the border. Um, in 2016, this started again and um, it was like the worst fighting to date since the um, since the ceasefire. So it's a really interesting situation because like, I would love to go and visit Gharabagh. So for Armenians, it would be Gharabagh um, and then Nagorno for Azerbaijanis. Mm. Um, but when I was in Armenia... You have to travel through Azerbaijan to get to Gharabagh. But if I've got Azerbaijan stamped on my on passport, your passport you can't I can't get back into Armenia. So it's a, it's a really interesting situation um, that I'm not sure if there is any other similar conflict like that in the world. There probably is somewhere. I don't know. I mean, there's towns like independent areas, Chechnya and Russia, but it's still... It's just finding independence there. It's not divided. It's not as divided as Nagorno Hahaba. But in terms of that, it was, if I'm right in saying, it was given to Azerbaijan by Joseph Stalin. So it is ethnically a Armenian territory that yeah. now has been taken and controlled and now is occupied again by Armenia. That sounds about right. Sounds. I mean, it's a very complicated situation <laughs> that really I've tried to paraphrase in about two sentences. Um, not imposing anything on that. I think personally, I think that's got zero coverage. Like not zero coverage. It's been completely overlooked by the British media because I think there is still a lot going on. There's still a lot of people dying. It's still interesting that it can't be resolved. And even was it last week they had their meeting in Munich. Yeah, it was literally over the weekend. The leaders of Armenia and Azerbaijan, they came together and they had basically, in this article, it's called a square-off debate. A square-off debate. <laughs> Never heard of that. I'm not sure that it necessarily got that aggressive. Um, and the Armenian Prime Minister, Nikol Pashinyan, it was the first time they, the, the two state leaders had met and had a conversation. And it was the first time that Pashinyan, or an Armenian Prime Minister, should I say, um acknowledge the fact that a decision needs to be made or reached, should I say, and that decision that needs to be reached has to also be favourable to the Azerbaijanis. So that was really interesting because there has always been such a conflict and I think the Armenian people, as much as we try and move forward and be progressive, we're always a little bit bitter by all of the injustice that has happened to us in the past. So for a prime minister to come out and say something like that and be so open and progressive is a real big deal. Do you think that there is a solution that will favour both parties? Because that's quite a big statement to make when it's a piece of land. You know, one country thinks it's theirs, the other country thinks it's theirs. Like, what, you know, are they going to slice it in half? What is, what do you think could be a solution? Or do you think it's just going to keep rolling over i have no idea what the solution could be and i don't think there is one there isn't it would just have to be accept the peace really and from what i understand by the new armenian prime minister and the way that the government is now wanting to be run is that they want better for armenian people and they're also not gonna let people walk over them so as much as the prime minister is 
been friendly and said that, he's also not going to be like, so with that in mind, I'm giving all of the state to Azerbaijan. There's no way that's happening. Um, And I don't I don't know what the solution would be, except unless it would be perhaps, I don't know, some kind of economic favors that they could do with each other, some kind of trade relationship, something. If you don't bully our Armenians in our in Gharabagh, will you please? We will give you this. I don't know. Could be something like that. So Armenia as a country has kind of had a not that we've got much economic stuff to give them but anyway. I mean, you could give it a go. You could. <laughs> well, no. Now you're on the advance as a country. Yeah, to be fair, there's uh, Kim Kardashian might, although she's currently creating her new Skims line of shapewear in Turkey, which was a, a major controversy. But she said she's she's always looking to move her factories to Armenia, so maybe that would real, be a real boost to the country. Actually, you've just completely oh, stormed sorry. my previous question because now we've got to go into Kim Kardashian. Was it Kim? Didn't she go back recently, or was that Chloe Kardashian yeah. who went who went back to Armenia? Um, so Kim Kardashian and Courtney Kardashian. When very recently, I want to say, like, from September to December last year. It was really recent, perhaps earlier, but it was last year anyway. Um, and Kim and Chloe visited in 2015 for the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. So Kim's been more than I have. <laughs> Is that, How do the Armenian people perceive the Kardashians? Are they kind of like these gods, or are they just, like, complete idiots that have just come back to kind of, like reconnect with their roots how how is it reflected in armenia i think there there are two sides there are two types of armenian in this situation so okay so if we're talking about in armenia i think everyone loves them and whenever they go and visit everyone is so obsessed with kim particularly because she looks armenian and maybe Mm. courtney but when chloe went they weren't so obsessed with Chloe because she's blonde and doesn't look very Armenian. Um, but so whenever the Armenian people are needing to welcome the Kardashians, they do it with open arms because it really boosts tourism. It helps the economy when they come over because they're buying all of this stuff and they're doing all these things or whatever. So in that sense, people are happy. And when I talk to the diaspora and when I think about it myself, I I'm really happy with what the Kardashians have done for the Armenians because before they came along, we were known as the Albanians. Like, Mm. you would tell someone, I'm Armenian, they'd be like, you're Albanian? I'm like, no, I'm Armenian. And they would never have heard of Armenia. I'm not saying that people now even know anything about Armenia, but they'll go, oh, yeah, is Kim Kardashian's Armenia, isn't she? Oh, the Armenian genocide, yeah, that was on the Kardashians. I heard a little bit about that. They would never have known anything about the Armenian genocide before it was on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So, and and Kim openly like tweets about it, puts it on Instagram. She was like a driving force in trying to get congressmen and women to try and recognize the Armenian genocide in America. So she's like really driving the Armenian name and I was going to say brand, no, not the Armenian brand, but she does see she, it as a brand. That's she the drives thing. the Kardashian brand. Whereas, like, then there are other Armenians who hate what Kim Kardashian stands for, hate that, like my dad, for example, hate that Armenia is associated with the Kardashians and that they spend this much money and they inject this into wherever and all that. Um, and 
but I do think that those people just love to hate. And from my point of view, you just need to appreciate that before they came along, the Armenians were no one. And I, just for putting us on the map, like, I'm thankful to Kim Kardashian. That could be the point to end it on. (laughs) Alan, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and giving us an insight into Armenia. Thank you so much, Charlotte. And Kim Kardashian. I tried my best. I'm not the most knowledgeable. I mean, I greatly enjoyed it. I'm sure my mum will as well. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Abroad View. Hopefully you know a little bit more about Armenia. Next week we'll have another guest, or hopefully. So stay tuned for the next episode. Goodbye.